0: would you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful that you do lead. Even in times in which we may not know where you're leading us, you're still leading, and you're in control, and you're a good God who cares deeply for us. And that's evident in many ways, but one of the ways it's evident is that you have given us your word. You have told us why we're here, what the value and purpose of life is, And so, Father, wherever we're at today, whether we're on on top of the mountain or underneath the mountain, Lord, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us through your word? Would you use the words that have been written for us long ago to be both practical and illuminating even today as we begin this new year? We love you. We trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, Paper Bibles, Google Bible, so many different Bible options, which is wonderful. Would you turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1? We're going to be looking at the first 15 verses. Is it better? Okay. Mark writes in verse 1, chapter 1, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. No, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. I just love that so much. Not funny? Okay. All right. And verse 7 says, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirits descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was there with the wild animals and with the angels ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The
1: gospel of Mark is a lot of fun. In a lot of ways, it's my favorite gospel. In a lot of ways, it confuses me um, because of the way that Mark tells um, the stories. I've actually preached it twice before here at the barn, once trying to cover everything, once in, a, in theological categories. and I'm not satisfied that I've lingered enough um, on the stories of Jesus. We need the gospel of Mark to give us pictures of all the theology that we believe, of the uh, who God is and why He does what He does and why He doesn't do what He doesn't do. And in the middle of the book of Mark, right at the, the, the book is 16 chapters and it hinges on chapter 8. And he asks the disciples who people say that He is and then He says, but who do you say that I am? And that splits the book um, in, in all sorts of ways that we'll talk about for many, many weeks this spring. And that's why we're titling the series Who Do You Say He Is? It's an essential question. Um, But before the story of Jesus, we have John the baptizer, whose role it is to straighten the path, to prepare the way for Jesus. And I, at times, would read this and be like, why does Jesus need him to straighten the paths? What does it mean to straighten the paths? Why are they not already straight? What's the story here? And, of course, it's— It's old language. He's quoting Isaiah 40, chapter 3. He's alluding to Isaiah 57, verse 14, and Isaiah 62, verse 10, and perhaps even Zechariah, chapter 12, and also Malachi 3. And what those tell us is that the people weren't ready. The paths are the people being ready to hear the gospel of God. It says in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which just like in Matthew's text is an absolute spoiler for the whole book because Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. So Mark's ruining the story to prepare us. And then at the end of the section, he says, Jesus says the gospel of God. So it's not that anything is wrong with the path. It's not that there's anything wrong with God. There's nothing wrong with the grace that he's been offering his people since he began speaking with them. But the people were not ready. The people of God, for all sorts of reasons, throughout the history of people worshiping God, don't take it seriously and live however they want or take it seriously, but then impose it on others and judge them. I wouldn't say take it too seriously, but misunderstand its seriousness. And, and the people of God at the time were making both of those mistakes at the same time. They were being incredibly fastidious about certain rules, but very, very loose about others. As an example, they were super into hand washing, but it was really easy to divorce someone. And so John is approaching the people and saying, you need to be prepared. For Jesus, John's baptism, the, what he was offering to people, went hand-in-hand hand with his encouragement that they repent. It was a ceremonial preparation to receive the gospel and the salvation of Jesus. John preached the forgiveness of sins, which is both a blessing to us and a conviction and a way of life. Right? It's good news— that we both can receive forgiveness through Jesus, but also means we need forgiveness. Most of the commands and even the sweetest parts of the gospel of Jesus should be both a blessing to us, a conviction to us, and a way of life. And that's what John preached, was that we need forgiveness of sins, and it's available because God longs to, but it's not uh, simply or freely given. John preached repentance. And I love this, because isn't it one of the quintessential questions of life, do people change? And the Bible doesn't even answer the question directly. The Bible actually states, I think, change is inevitable. You're either becoming more yourself without Christ, or more yourself in Christ. I've long observed that it seems to take more energy To not change with respect to how we interact With the world and with people Than it does to change Still takes a remarkable amount of energy to change And I think That when the Bible talks about repentance It's blowing past the question of Do people change and saying yes It's inevitable You age You think differently Your brain works differently And if the spirit is in you Then you will be growing more and more Of yourself in Christ Which is good news This is part of what John preached. He preached forgiveness, he preached repentance, and he preached that we need cleansing. At this point, baptism is not the full-orbed New Testament teaching on baptism. Jesus hasn't told them to go and baptize everyone yet. We don't have Colossians 2 yet. Colossians was written before the Gospel of Mark, probably, not for sure. But uh, when Jesus said this, we didn't have it yet. We didn't have Acts uh, chapter 16, where people hear the Gospel and they go and are baptized. But this baptism... Was a cleansing where people were covered in a ceremonial way in God's love and in His protection. If you have been baptized, take a moment and remember your baptism. Remember that God th- covered you with His love. And with his protection, because baptism is a sign of whose you are, and it's also a seal. And if you don't remember your baptism, how much sweeter is the good news that before you could even begin to understand God, he filled you with his love and protected you. So the baptizer straightens the way of Jesus. John is not only preparing with words, an odd dress, and eclectic culinary habits—he's so humble. Most of the characters in the Bible both themselves will just say how they were foolish, or the text will just point it out The, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke are especially interesting in this regard, in my opinion, because the authors are a little more harsh towards themselves. Mark uh, is reflecting the teachings of Peter. People begged him to write them down. Um, Peter gets a little bit of a harsher— Peter doesn't look as great in Mark. Matthew doesn't look as great in Matthew, because that's often how followers of Jesus came to understand their need and the gift. John, the baptizer, not the disciple, is one of the interesting examples of of someone who is humble— Throughout And humble doesn't mean he wasn't bold. He was quite bold, but he knew exactly who he was and who Jesus was. John preaches, and then he is offered up. He's martyred in a horrific way because the world is full of evil and malice and people whose priorities are terrible. And I say that because... Um, Mark, the author, is preparing us for the message of Jesus by letting us see uh, a human who was fully for Jesus and who precursored him, who preached, and then was offered up also. This would also encourage the first Christians, whether Mark was written in about 52 AD, which is some, very few, but some people think was written in for good reason, or written in the 60s when things were starting to get really rough in Jerusalem and as the Gospels were beginning to be written Um, or that the whole New Testament was being written, it would have really deeply encouraged the first Christians because it was illegal to say Jesus is Lord. And so when they see and hear John preaching and then being offered up, Jesus preaching and being offered up, and then they know that if they preach, they may very well be offered up, it would encourage them to hear these stories again. Just a few lovely, lovely things about John as he says I, he must increase and I must decrease. Not a bad prayer for us, not because we need to become smaller, but the parts of us that are not sanctified need to become smaller, and the Holy Spirit in us grows larger. He says here I'm not worthy to strap his sandals on, and it's not because he wasn't a bold man. Turn over to a different gospel and see how he talked to the Pharisees when they came after him. John was bold which was actually part of his humility, knowing who he was and who Jesus is. My favorite thing that he says when asked in another gospel is, I am not the Christ. Which is important because there is a Christ and it's important because he knew that he wasn't him even though he was given power and a message and an important place in history. But not to put too fine a point on it, this is a terrific thing for us to remember all the time. Because those that we are in deep relationship with, we long for them to be whole and happy and stable and successful. And we will have very little to do with that. So, in marriage, in work, with your colleagues, in friendship, with your children, And with your parents, it is essential that you and I remember that we are not the Christ. We will have a small role of friendship with those people, but it's an absolute delight to release ourselves from any control, (laughs) because we have no control, and remember the amount of influence that we have, because, thank God, we are not the Christ. As most of you, I think, know, I'm a huge fan of John's story before we move into the beginning of the gospel as it the the verses that I'm calling the beginning of the gospel in Mark I want to read Sally Sally Lloyd-Jones description of John the baptizer and here's why it's not just because she's clear it's because there are questions that come up that she answers in a beautifully direct way did you know C.S. Lewis was not a theologian and that's part of the reason he's such a good writer because he's clear And he doesn't get all caught up in certain kinds of things that theologians get caught up in. Same thing with Sally Lloyd-Jones. I read her because she's so clear. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark, whether you realize it or not, almost every verse, a good question will pop into your mind. And I love the way she answers it. So John grew up—I'm jumping into the story a little bit into it. And well, to tell you the truth, he was a bit unusual. He lived in the desert. He wore itchy, scratchy outfits made of camel hair. He had a big, big bushy beard and long, long scraggly hair. We don't know if he ever tied it into a man bun. And here's the oddest thing of all. He only ate, big, he only ate locusts, short for big, creepy, crunchy grasshoppers, which he dipped in honey to disguise the taste, probably. But God sent John to tell his people something important. Stop running away from God And run to him instead John said, you need to be rescued I have good news, the rescuer is coming Make your hearts ready for him Yes, get ready because your king is coming back for you Great crowds listened to John They were sorry they had sinned And they wanted to stop running away from God They wanted to be rescued So John baptized them Which means he plunged them in and out of the water It showed that they wanted to follow God And begin a new life That's an excellent, excellent, excellent description of baptism before the other texts about baptism, which we don't have yet. One day, John was baptizing people in the Jordan River as usual when he looked up and saw a man walking down to the water's edge. God spoke quietly to John. This is the one. John's heart leapt. This was the moment he'd been waiting for all his life. Look, John said, as Jesus came down into the water, but his voice came out as a whisper. He couldn't make it any louder. All he could do... It was all he could do to even speak. The Lamb of God, God's best Lamb, who takes away the sins of the whole world. Will you baptize me too, Jesus asked. Who am I, John asked, to baptize you? It's what God wants me to do, Jesus said. So John baptized Jesus. Suddenly as if someone had drawn back curtains in a dark room as if heaven itself had opened because a beautiful light broke through the clouds and shone down onto Jesus, bathing him in gold. Beads of water glittered and sparkled like tiny diamonds in his hair. A white dove flew down and gently rested on Jesus and a voice came down from heaven. It was clear and strong and loud so everyone could hear. This is my own son and I love him. I am very pleased with him. God said, listen to him. Heaven had broken through. The great rescue had begun. The baptizer straightens the way for the king. Why did Jesus receive John's baptism? He didn't need to prepare for himself. He didn't need cleansing. He had not sinned. And again, we don't have Colossians 2 and Acts 16. This is not baptism as we understand through catechisms. But Jesus was identifying with the world that needed cleansing. This is a prefiguring of him identifying with and taking on our sin. That's why the story begins this way. He's also validating John's ministry. And you'll note that John said, repent. Does Jesus repent? Nope. John said to repent but he didn't encourage Jesus to because he knew who Jesus was. You see the word immediately here. This is a key word for understanding Mark's style. He says it 41 times, euthus in the Greek, and it means something surprising has happened, and it changes the story a little bit. It was very surprising to people what happened when Jesus was baptized because when someone else was baptized, the heavens did not open, and God did not speak down. This is my beloved son, With whom I am well pleased, which is a prefiguring of what we need so deeply to have and to hear, to understand, and to be gripped by. You are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Galatians 4 and Romans 8 talk about this, but Peter, who Mark sat at the, in, under the teaching of, which is how he could write this book, says it this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he planned to rescue you. In the sanctification of the Spirit, he's growing you up. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and fading and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith. That's what God was saying about Jesus is that he has the power to bring us into that inheritance. And it is what the rest of the New Testament letters help us to understand. And in understanding them, we're not only comforted that we're called beloved, we're convicted to act like beloved children. It's a blessing and a conviction and a way of life. All of the promises and commands of Scripture. The beginning of the story foreshadows the end. In the end, Jesus will take on our sin even more directly in the cross. In the beginning, he takes on our true enemy. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was ill in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. In the beginning, he takes on our true enemy. In the end, he takes him on even more directly alongside our other enemy, death. Death. The rest of the Bible needs Mark because we want to see the living sermon that moves suddenly and surprisingly in a world of malice and darkness and sin and judgmentalism and religious hypocrisy. Mark needs the rest of the Bible so that we fully understand all that's happening. Nine different things happen in the first chapter of Mark. And the rest of the scriptures help us understand the profound importance of what's happening with God and with us through what we're learning about Jesus' character in a very fast-paced, fast-paced fashion. The baptizer straightens the way for the king that we might receive him and for us. When Jesus begins preaching... Remember, it's a, it's a, the description of John is also a description of Jesus. Jesus preaches, and then he's—John preaches, and then he's offered up. Jesus preaches, and then he's offered up. If we actually profess Jesus as Lord and confess him as Savior, we will also be offered up, hopefully not as horrifically as John and Jesus and Peter and others. But the world will not esteem our love for God and for neighbor. Jesus calls it the gospel of God. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Sorry. Proclaiming the gospel of God, verse 14, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's the same God. It's the same gospel. But threads are being drawn together and perfected. Threads that began with... Adam and Abraham and Moses, David, and others are being drawn together and perfected in Christ. Mark prefers kingdom to kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven is more of a Matthew term, but it's the same point, and it's the same offer to you and to me. That the kingdom, though invisible, is yours. You who repent and receive Jesus' forgiveness, protection, uh, sacramentally through baptism and his healing. This is the offer. If you're not a Christian, not my way. My way's not working. His way. And if you're a Christian, this is the same offer. To continue your healing and humility to not trust our ways of talking and doing life with our stuff and our people, but trust his ways, as He make, as He grows us more and more in His likeness. <coughs> Would you pray with me, Father? We long to be comforted. And convicted, and encouraged, when we say out loud and silently who we profess and confess you to be. For those of us that are considering your gospel, would you speed up our our fatigue at our ways of honoring you and loving one another? Would you help us to see that they're actually ways of death? And for those of us that call you Lord. Would you quicken our desire to follow you, to trust you, to be so grateful for your work, and then to obey and to follow you? Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask that you fill us with the comfort, conviction, hope, and peace, which are ours because of you and your great love for us. Amen.